conversations with sports fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm delighted to chat with a long-ago work colleague and all-around good man, Derek Meineke. Derek is the son of longtime Michigan sports writer, Corky Meineke. Derek, however, decided a career in law was the way to go. That said, while doing his undergraduate studies at Northwestern University, he did work in the sports information department and even worked the Wildcats' 1995 Rose Bowl run. While in law school in Detroit, he worked at the Detroit Free Press, helping on the scoreboard page and covering some high school, minor league hockey, and WNBA action. He's now a 17-year veteran youth sports coach, having worked the sidelines for football, girls and boys basketball, and softball, while maintaining an avid level of sports fanaticism. Derek, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Doug, I want to thank you so much for uh, uh, reaching out and, and, and allowing me to be part of something um, really so creative and exciting uh, and, and, and allow me the opportunity to talk a little bit about my connection and the joys and um, frustrations that sports has given me over the years. But I also uh, have always appreciated the fact that um, despite the fact that after I um, after I transitioned away from the agate and the uh, high school sports stuff where we first met um, and the wonderful times that we shared there, uh, um, that I've been able to, to, to at least stay in, in relative um, touch with you over the years, thanks to obviously social media and see how, um, you know, all those, those skills and talents that you had for writing and messaging and communicating uh, have been utilized outside of uh, the sports world in a way that really uh, protects and supports, you know, the um, uh, educational community, uh, students, educators, and, um, and on a day-to-day basis, you're working to make sure that um, the, the individuals who, um, who are really the, the backbone and core um, of, of what we're trying to do as a society, and that is to educate and uplift our children and get them ready to be our next leaders, that you're, you're behind all of them, supporting them and making sure that their voices are heard in every single type of arena, whether it be in Lansing, D.C., wherever those voices need to be heard. So I'm, I'm just so glad that you've gone from covering high school sports um, with that 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 talent and then transitioning it and recognizing that that talent can be used uh, in a way that will make and has made a real difference for your community and I think uh, surrounding communities as well. Wow. Um, for the listeners out there, Derek is not the first ever paid guest on this episode or this show, but I, I am, I'm, I'm blushing a little bit, but I thank you for the kind words, Derek. That is very, very nice. And coming from you, that means a lot. So, so thank you. Um, let's, let's get into it. Let's find out, um, about Derek Meineke's origin story as a sports fan. What, uh, what's one of your earliest memories of being a fan? So, um, I often wonder um, how much of our earliest memories are actual memories or are just, um, you know, sort of a, uh, um, a recreation of, of something that was told to us or explained to us. Um, you know, for example, the earliest sports event that of significance that I ever would have attended would have been the 1976 Montreal Olympics, but I was one. So there's no way I remember obviously any of that. Um, but there, um, you know, there's a, 
there's certainly different snippets in time that I remember. Uh, I remember um, uh, going to a uh, Toronto Blue Jays game, but it's just snippets, really. Um, uh, with my dad, uh, when I was little, I remember um, I, rem I remember my dad having a tabletop hockey game, and uh, his his buddy had uh, back in the day in the '80s when you get a new tabletop hockey, it would feature the teams from the year before that had been in the Stanley cup. And so when his, my, my dad would have these giant tabletop uh, top hockey games and they were ferocious battles um, between himself and whatever other members of, um, of the uh, sports crew over at the Grand Rapids press would, would crowd into our house. And uh, somebody had New York Islanders, Vancouver Canucks, and they had these V jerseys. Well, then I was just in, I was just enthralled um, by um, this 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 uniform design, and so I remembered that was very you know, bright in my memory and caused me to um, you know for an extended period of time be a Vancouver Canucks fan. Um, I, so we grew up in Grand I grew up in Grand Rapids. My dad worked for the Grand Rapids Press, and um, and we lived there until I was eight years old. <clears throat> so being in Grand Rapids. I find that in in Michigan, uh, because of the proximity of where Grand Rapids is in, in 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 relation to Detroit and Chicago and things like that, you're just as likely to find uh, Detroit fans as you might Chicago Cubs fans. Um, you know, uh, I have to see more north in Michigan. You get you get some Green Bay Packer fans, but um, I didn't find myself connecting at that time to any of the Detroit teams. Uh, my dad had played quarterback for the uh, for Millington, and they were the Millington Cardinals. And so I had a little St. Louis Cardinals football outfit that I would wear running around. And so naturally, I I mean, I didn't really associate with the Millington Cardinals. I associated then with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, so I became a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. Um, I was active in trading cards and sticker books. Uh, that was a, uh, you know, a big deal in the eighties. And, um, and I didn't really have a favorite baseball team. And so uh, I made my selection in 82, 83 at that time of, of who I would follow in my baseball fandom uh, by the number of the team with the greatest number of stickers. And that team happened to be the Minnesota twins. Now, to be fair, my guess is, is that if it was 1982, it was probably because um, back in the day, Tops and all of them would stuff uh, most packs with like these common cards of like everyday yeoman players that will be lost in time. Um, and then every once in a while, you pick up a hot rookie or you pick up some all-star, right? So yeah. I think the 82 twins were full of the yeoman, and that was the 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 the, the, the the group of stickers that I was getting the most. Um, but that's, I mean, that really, I, I just remember, you know, just wanting to devour sports because that's what my, um, you know, my, my dad was involved in, but I guess to get back to your original question, the thing that I remember the most was when my dad was covering the Grand Rapids Owls minor league hockey team, um, going to those, getting a pennant signed by all of them, getting, bringing hockey pucks home, so um, that's an unusual franchise to remember, uh, but the Grand Rapids Owls and their battles with the Kalamazoo Wings and uh, Flint Generals and uh, all of those minor league hockey programs, I, I do remember that as well. So that's, 
that's sort of my origin story and it just it explodes from there yeah i i know that it does because ultimately your dad did relocate to the metro detroit area right what what time frame would that have been do you recall so it's a it's a real interesting story so um uh, after my dad passed um the free press was good enough to um give me his personnel file yeah and and what was really interesting that personnel file was that my dad had been applying for jobs at the free press back in the early 80s um and you, you know you see this hopeful optimistic tone knowing that he is you know your um university of maryland baltimore county type of uh, odds stacked against him and in, in getting yeah. these types of jobs um but you could see that there was a genuine desire to someday get a, a, a column um and then he um basically had, had had some really good friends in the industry who was giving him some advice and so he went from the grand rapids press in 83 and became a sports editor at the Bay City Times for a couple of years okay. to get some experience with that uh, and then was able to um, get a position with the Detroit News. Um, ultimately, it seemed like the original plan was to get him into work as, in, as a columnist, uh, transitioned uh, into sort of NBA columns, NBA work, and then he eventually I think it was 1990. So, so 86, we come, he, he, he um, starts working for the news and then come a, a 90, 89, 90, 91 is when he starts, he moves over to the free press and he, you know, then he takes on the, um, uh, the Pistons job full time with an NBA column. Uh, and he's, you know, working that um, until, you know, he gets sick and, and then ultimately passes away in 97. Um, and so, you know, we we moved from Grand Rapids and then up to near Bay City, mm -hmm. which as a city boy was not great for me. I mean, I, 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 uh, I was not wild about being that far from any major sports franchise, any movie theater. Um, you know, again, every you know, for, for everybody, you know, they've got their own tastes. I just can't get up in the morning, open my window and and smell cow manure, which is not not for me. Somebody else. It's not my, my position isn't better than anybody else's, but it's not for me. And sure. so when we moved down to the Troy area and now we're back into, you know, the major sports, um, that, that was uh, huge. Yeah. So is, is your time in Bay city, is that kind of spent in a bit of sports purgatory? Are you able to still follow, um, you know, your Minnesota twins at all? Um, are you relying on the super stations like TBS and WGN to get some baseball fixes here or there? Um, what I loved at the time, and, and people don't quite understand, you know, the easy and quick access. My dad had sporting news. And so you could get all, they, they print all the box scores, you know, from the week before. And so you could catch up that way. Um, and at the time I was playing sports, you know, uh, you know, I was playing youth football, I was mm. playing youth basketball, I was playing youth baseball, I was doing all of those things. And so, you know, sports was more present as, you know, an, an, a young athlete at the time. Um, but the, the, the nature of the game, not just playing the game, but the, the stats and all that stuff were very much, you know, part of my reality in fourth grade. I remember this clear as day, first year of kid pitch, all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the mound and it's like a scrimmage. And, you know, my dad is on the field 
behind me uh, because it's just, again, it's it's a scrimmage against another team. And I think he's probably calling, calling balls and strikes yeah. from behind because they probably didn't get, have an umpire. And so this, you know, big kid from the neighborhood, because every story has to have a big kid from the neighborhood. All right. But this kid was big. He comes up and I was throwing strikes. Just everybody was hitting them, but I was throwing strikes. So there's some utility to that as a youth coach, as I've discovered over time. Sure. If you could put the right defense around, um, a kid who could throw strikes is going to be more valuable than a kid that walks everybody, but but one inning can strike out the side. So the bases are loaded and I throw it and and this kid hit it all the way to the school, which was a legendary shot. All right. And you know, my my dad's you know laughed about this for a long time as the bases are getting cleared and the kid hits home before they even get the ball. I look at my dad and I said, well, there goes my ERA. <laughs> and so when you're, you know, when your nine, 10 year old son is talking about his ERA and you know, you have a bit of a sports fanatic and now mind you at that time, we were, there was a game that was called Stratomatic. Yeah. Uh, that was a big game that we would play. Um, and I still was collecting cards and doing all those things. So yes, I couldn't watch the game as much as I would have liked. And obviously there are no YouTube highlights and all that, but I was still in it. Mm-hmm. Now, in you said you moved to the Detroit area in '86. Um, in 1987, I believe the Tigers played the Twins in the AL right. Championship Series. Were you polling for those Minnesota Twins at that time? One hundred percent, all okay. the way. And they were and they were terrible. Like they were an unworthy champion. But that too soon, too soon, my friend. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they um, well, if you remember, um. So that that eighty seven team, I mean, they only had, um, they only had two starters, you know, um, uh, because that was the um, Frank Viola, Burt Blylevin, uh time frame, you know. Um, but I was a huge Kirby Puckett fan. I mean, you yeah. could, you know, you I, I think you probably remember because, you know, my 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 name when we worked at the Free Press was always D Money. And yep. usually D money 34 for Puckett. And, uh, and so that was young Kirby Puckett coming through, you know, but if, but if you look at the standings, I mean, I, I want to say that that was an 80 win twin team that made it. And that was a good Tigers team because that was the 87th year. They traded Smoltz for Doral Alexander, which is the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, uh, deadline deal that in theory works out because Doral Alexander goes nine. zero. But Smoltz yep. turns into a Hall of Famer, you know, but uh, and then they go into if I remember right, that was when um, they go into game 162 against Toronto. Um, Herndon, did Herndon hit the home run? I can't recall who hit the home run, but I know Frank Tanana spun a gem uh, complete game, you know, like two or three hitter or something like that. It was one nothing, if I'm not mistaken. I thought it was Herndon who hit the home run, but it was Might one. No- it was in the first inning. Yeah. And Tanana had such a great game that, that it held up that first inning home run held up the whole time. Um, but I think I want to say the twins either swept or they won three, one, or it was just three, one. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you remember it well. Um, <laughs> and then the twins go on uh, and beat the Cardinals in, in seven games. Um, and that was, you know, obviously these were, it was the twins 
played in two very interesting World Series, 87 and 91. They both went seven games. They both had, you know, some significant, um, you know, uh, moments that 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 are, are regularly discussed over time. Um, but uh, the 87 team, um, that team uh, was one of the, you know, one of the weakest teams to, to, to win a World Series. Sorry. Sorry, Doug. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy that all those Twins fans out there got to experience what the Tigers experienced or Tiger fans experienced in 84. Uh, would have been nice to have seen the Tiger run go on for at least a, another year, but it was not to be. Um, so you're, you're back now in the Metro Detroit area and you're, um, I, I would imagine now becoming more fully immersed in the Detroit athletic scene or sports scene. Are you still keeping your, certainly you're still keeping tabs on, on the twins. Are you still kind of a St. Louis Cardinals fan or is that come and gone now? Um, or, so, because, or the pull of the Millington Cardinals is still there. So, so that's a good, so, uh, all right. So 90, so Barry Sanders um, is drafted 89, right? 89, I yep. think. And I was at his first game. Why was I at his first game? Because the lions were playing the Cardinals. And so on that day, the Barry Sanders suits up. I'm rooting for the Cardinals. Cardinals win that game, by the way. Uh, but at that point in time, they were the Phoenix Cardinals. So that is, you know, I, that transition begins. Okay. You know, I still keep, even to this day, I still keep tabs on the the, the Cardinals. Um, but, um, you know, for me, um, you know, there my strongest fandom of the Cardinals was when they were in St. Louis, Neil Lomax, Roy Green, you know, I cried my eyes out at the end of the season in 1984. It was the weirdest, you know, it's the first time I remember like, like heaving crying about a sports event. Um, and it was, I'm sitting in, in our house in Auburn, Michigan, which is outside of Bay city. And who would have, who would think that sports that, that, could cause that kind of emotional human reaction like that. But it was the weirdest set of circumstances because the giants, the Redskins and the Cardinals are all tied going into that last day. So if the Cardinals win, they're in. Okay. Um, if the Cardinals lose, all right, then they're, they're tied with the Redskins and the giants all right. And even though they all have, I think, the same record, the Redskins get the title and the Giants knock out the Cardinals because I think the Giants beat them twice during that season. So, you know, even though they could end up with the same record, I watch my team get knocked out of the playoffs. So they fall behind early and then um, they're driving down and Neil O'Donohue. All right. Um, you know, I don't know what I'd say to Neil O'Donohue if I ever met him in person, um, but he had a field goal that he missed. And um, sent the nine-year-old version of myself into, you know, you know, the type of, you know, crying fit and and and, and led to a, a discussion about it's just a game um, that I still haven't fully learned, no. you know, uh, these many 39 years later. Um, but um, but anyway, so we moved to Detroit and then obviously that transition begins because, you know, um, you know, once you are you know, closer to the community, you see the community, it's, it's, it's 
hard not to become attached to your local team, you know, and that was just a time where the Lions were getting exciting too, you know, so we've got, you know, 90, 91, we're building up, you know, you got the, um, you know, the run to the NFC championship game. There's a lot of really cool things that are happening, but, but Doug was so funny is all these years. So people would find out that I'm Canucks twins, Cardinals, and they'd look at my dad and they'd say like, what's going on? And he once wrote a column when he said, where he commented on that. And he said, I blame cable TV. I blame cable TV, which is funny because that's, that's really kind of a, a forward thinking comment because nowadays, you know, there are more fans that are willing to go outside of their local municipality and not be tied in because of the access that we didn't, we couldn't possibly have had or what people didn't have in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's that. So the nineties, the tiger, the, and plus we had the Pistons, you know, the Pistons run at that time. And my dad was, was, was covering the, um, you know, the, the bad boys. Um, that would be the second, the second crying episode would have been the um, Isaiah Thomas pass to Larry Bird, not the Larry Bird steal, the Isaiah Thomas pass to Larry Bird. Um, and then, you know, Dantley and um, Vinny hit heads in game seven. And I was just demolished, only to be demolished again when the referee calls a phantom call on Bill Lambeer on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the next year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I have shed a lot of tears in sports. This is, you know, this is a tough walk down memory lane here, Doug Hill. Now, you referenced your father is covering those teams at the time. Did, did you have any, um, I guess, therapy sessions with him over the – um, the errant Isaiah Thomas pass or the uh, the dual concussions of, you know, AD and, and, and VJ or, um, you know, the that foul that really was not anything close to a foul on on Kareem. D- do you have any conversations with your father or is there a bit of a, I guess, a, a barrier or whatever? You understand that this is his job and you're not going to do a lot of talking about that with him. So. That's a, that's a great question. So what you got to remember when each of those moments happen, he's at the stadium and I'm at home. Sure. And, and so, so um, it's probably good for me that he didn't see me carrying on in that moment. And I, you know, I certainly settled myself at, at that particular point. Um, but, you know, I always appreciated when it came to my dad and the sports he was covering um, he, his professionalism, you know, he, People who, people who he covered, you know, especially after he passed, you know, said a lot of nice things because of his, you know, his his personal nature, personable nature, and his uh, uh, approachability and and mm-hmm. um, and all that. But but kind of what gets lost sometimes is just his professionalism. And so, um, yeah, we didn't get into a lot of those discussions, um, you know, about the games itself. Usually, when we talked about sports, it was sports that we were watching together not when he, what, what he was observing while, while on the job. Um, and, and it's so interesting too, because if, if I did ever go to a game with him, like I had specific directions, like if you meet a player, you're not asking for an autograph, you know, a handshake's enough, you know, a conversation's enough. You don't need to ask for any, because there are a couple of local sports personalities who are still alive today. So I'm not going to say anything who my dad would comment like, and that guy was asking, you know, uh, he had just asked a tough question of a guy and then two minutes later asked for his autograph for his kids. He's like, that is, um, 
you know, when we're not on the record, I'll tell you what it is. Um, uh, uh, he's like, that is not ever going to happen. Um, and it, it, it did help me long-term because I'm not a big autograph seeker. I focus on a conversation that I can have um, that I'll remember forever. Um, and so when it came, one of the cool things though, that my dad did do was when I was in eighth grade, um, he took me on a flight to Boston and we saw a game at the Boston garden, 1988. I remember it because it was Super Bowl Sunday, um, San Francisco, Cincinnati. And, um, and so, um, he took me there and, and when he was covering and everything like that, I had a chance to walk around on, on the parquet floor on the Boston garden. Um, and so that was a special experience, but my dad was not a free ticket guy. He was not an autograph guy. Um, and, and so when it came to his, his, his job, um, you know, that there was, I would say some, some barrier mm -hmm. there that, uh, I knew and appreciated. Good. Well, I, I, it's great. And that's, you know, my, my hope and, and, and wishes that every journalist sports or otherwise would have that same type of, uh, you know, moral compass and understand that the job's the job and, you know, you shouldn't leverage what you're doing to benefit either yourself or your family. Certainly if he's able to, you know, purchase a ticket and, and have you go to see a game at the garden, that's fantastic. If you happen to run into, you know, Johnny most and can tell him off and uh, even better, but yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Bird did not steal the ball. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump way, you know, way up in time here because you mentioned something I didn't want to lose track of. You you referenced the the cable TV or the the interconnectedness that we have now as fans and being able to essentially watch or view anything that we want to. Um, again, because we've been able to stay in touch through social media a little bit. I know that you have a, a child, a daughter, I believe, who is a big Brentford B fan uh, from the uh, English Premier League. Um, how does something like that happen? for a, you know, teenage girl in Metro Detroit, how does, how does one become a, a Brentford B fan? Do you have any insight into how that happened? It's a, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a long story, but I kind of guess this is the whole point. Uh, so let me, let me, let me, so let me preface this a little bit with, if we had this conversation in 2018, there's a good chance that if, if soccer came up, I would make probably nine, 10 jokes about how it's not a sport. It's ridiculous. It's a waste of time. In fact, my uncle posted something about DCFC one time when they first came out, how fun it would be. And I posted a meme with a guy looking at a wall that says more fun than watching soccer. All right. Then COVID hits and I start watching uh, an Amazon all or nothing series because at that point in time, you're just looking for sports content. Yeah. When, when that was all shut down, you're just looking for sports content. And so uh, the, it just so happened that it was about Manchester City. Um, and Manchester City reminded me so much of the late 90s Red Wings. Um, you know, high, you know, high budget, you know, high skilled, um, highly skilled, um, you know, a lot of possession based um, uh, to their offensive attack. Um, and, uh, and a great, great story. Um, there's a, um, they're, they're overshadowed even, even now, even with their great accomplishments, they're still overshadowed by Manchester United because 
everybody knows Manchester United. It's kind of like the block M, you know, everybody knows it. And so um, in 2012, you know, at the last uh, match of the season, Manchester City and Manchester United are, are, you know, tied. Manchester City would win the title on goal differential. And uh, Manchester United, and this is the beautiful thing, and we'll get into that a little bit about, um, you know, it's, 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 and analyzing European sports with American sports now, that's sort of my my new um, uh, sports analysis passion. But um, on their last day of the season, every match is played at the same time, mm-hmm. Yep. you know, which which bothered me about the Lions Green Bay thing. So every match is played at the same time. So within minutes of United winning the, the their match at Sunderland, they're getting ready to celebrate the trophy because City is down a goal. So a tie does them no, no good. They have to win. And so in added time, so uh, they score two goals, um, one of them by Sergio Aguero um, at the death um, leads to this, you know, iconic call Aguero. This guy calls Aguero much. It would be the English premiere version of do you believe in miracles? That's how iconic that is. Martin Tyler. And this whole idea of just grasping, you know, from your biggest rival, the title at the, at the end, when all hope seemed lost, um, that was so compelling to me that I just, and plus their, you know, their kits are that sky blue. It's, you know, there's all sorts of great storylines. So, and plus, I've never rooted for a highly successful team. Every team that I have had has been, at best, mediocre. And so it's kind of been a fun run. So remember, Jane, and I don't know if I've mentioned this or I mentioned this before we started talking, my youngest daughter is the most voracious sports fan that I have. Okay. Um, you know, when we have, you know, when she's on spring break and her, like when she was on spring break, her brother and sister weren't on the same spring break, so we couldn't go on trips. So Jane would be home. And so she's like, dad, give me a list of sports documentaries. And she's watched just about every 30 for 30. Um, she, it doesn't matter what it's about. It could be, you know, one of her favorites is this one called the, um, the last gold about the 1976 women's um, swimming team, us women's swimming team. And she loves it. She went out and read a, read a book authored by one of the swimmers um, because of, uh, of watching that documentary anyway. So think about this. The table is set. You're a, you're a 12 year old kid. Your dad's favorite team is this juggernaut. And he's bought you kits. He's bought you the jerseys, all that kind of stuff. It would be very easy to slide into and be a Manchester city fan. So Jane is watching. I don't know who does this, but Jane is just watching the opening match from so let's see here, we're 2023 now. So opening match 2021 of the Premier League season. Newly promoted Brentford. Mm-hmm. Their first time in the Premier League in 74 years. All right. They're hosting Arsenal, mighty Arsenal. And she's watching it. And, you know, a couple of things. One, this was after the European tournament where um, England had lost. And um, uh, there are um, a couple of... Um, players of African descent who had missed a couple penalties and had received terrible racial abuse. And um, one of them, Bakaya Saka, uh, was playing for Arsenal. And he came in about 35, 40 minutes into the match. And the Brentford fans gave him a standing ovation. 
And Jane's watching all of this. And she's like, these fans are fantastic. He's like, she said, this is the team. And, and, and here I'm thinking this team is probably going to get relegated. This is my only chance to have my daughter invested in English Premier League soccer. And she's a fan of the team that is likely going to go down. And, um, you know, she's she was locked in. And so she the ups and downs of that season, they got close, but they stayed up. They stayed were 13th. And, you know, sometimes you with kids, their passion can wax and wane. Mm-hmm. It didn't at all with Jane. She's got a lunchbox. She's telling all of her kids, fr- friends at school about the Brentford Bees. You know, she is absolutely locked into the point where I'm like, I, what would my dad, would, what would my dad have done? My dad would have figured out a way to get me to a game, you know, to get me to a match. So it was tailor-made. My sister's um, stationed out in the UK right now. She's with the Air National Guard and, and she's stationed at a, a, a base out there. And not too far outside of London. This is a West London team. So yeah. I asked my sister, go check out this match. See how hard, how hard it is to get tickets, all those types of things. And she goes and she has a brilliant time. And in the course of doing so, um, she meets some Brentford fans who obviously are always amazed that American fans would be interested in little old Brentford. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is like, so this is February 11th of this year that they're playing Southampton and um or no, it's february 4th and so i looked and saw that there was a flight out of chicago for about 600 bucks round trip I and mean, you can't beat that right so i go to my daughter and i say we have to drive five hours to chicago get on a plane for eight hours we arrive on friday we go to the match on saturday um and we'd have to fly back on monday which would have been president's day yeah and then drive back five hours from chicago so it's 26 hours of travel to see a 90 minute match. Do you want to go? She's like, absolutely. 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 Let's go. And so the only thing that she asked was that she had had a, and this again, she's also a pretty responsible student. She's just said, if you could pick me up after math on Thursday before we drive, cause I need to, I want to make sure that I'm good to go for math. So I picked her up at 9am. We drove to Chicago, got on the plane. Well, just to give you a, um, you know, what a, what an incredible opportunity that was it since it's a small club and you wouldn't have access like this at a big club. All right. But because it's a small club and it's a cool story. So I put out on the Brentford FC loyal Facebook page, here comes Jane from America, you know, the little redhead, you know, and um, the head of the bees United States fan club read it and passed it along to the marketing department of the club. The head of the Bees United fan club, which is the UK fan club, also read it. And they all reached out to me. I'm in England at the time, and I get all these messages on, on Facebook. So the club, you know, they they, they asked Jane to meet them at the, the store. They buy, her a, they buy her a kit. They put her name on it. Um, we meet the chairman of the club and, you know, um, and, and the, the really, this is what you need to know about Jane as a fan. Um, like I'm used to, you know, being an elected official, I'm used to being on, you know, you got to be on. And I know, you know what that is like, you have, you have to participate in different national meetings and statewide meetings where you got to be on. Okay. Jane just wanted to see the match. And so she appreciated all the attention and all these people were like, Hey, it's the American. She met the, the keeper for the women's team and then the keeper for the women's B team. And oh, she wow. loved meeting everybody. 
but then she's like, I missed warm up, you know, and uh, and she's like, she just wanted to see the match itself. And so, um, you know, when we got done, she was so grateful. Uh, but she did say, next time we go, Dad, I want to sit in the West Stand, which everybody, where everybody's standing up and they're loud and rowdy. And she's like, I want to sit in the West Stand. And I just want to just do the game, do the match. I just want to focus on the match. So, um, you know, and and um, and she's just been, it's been a joy. And it reminded me of just how much it meant to me when I was her age, how much sports meant to me. And, and so, you know, there are, pros and cons you know you got divided local loyalties which is too bad because it would be nice to have a united front i'm from detroit i'm a lions fan you know i'm from detroit i'm a pistons fan i'm you know but it does open up the doors there is no obviously english premier league team in detroit and so what opportunity would we have unless there was peacock streaming these games so i guess it just depends on how you look at it um you know it can be uh, something that makes sure that if you're a diehard, you know, Pistons fan and your kid is a Steph Curry fan, that's, 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 that's a tough one there, but unfortunately the local product hasn't commanded uh, the type of attention with our young people. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's, that's the long story. Like we were not, a, we were, my daughter's two favorite sports are two sports. She doesn't play her, her favorite sports to watch are two sports. She doesn't play American football, and English football. Hmm. Um, so American football, that would make her and presumably you now at this point, because the transition is complete, I think, from yes. the Barry Sanders era. Yes. Lions fans. And, you know, as we speak, we are getting closer to the beginning of this 2023 season. Are you uh, and your daughter, are you optimistic about the Detroit Lions this year? All right. So <laughs> I'm, full of, I'm full of sports stories here. OK, so. We became season ticket holders last year. Okay. In June. In June. In June. Okay. In June. Before hard knocks, before mm-hmm. all of that stuff. All right. I received an email in June. All right. Now, I was once a 20-game season ticket holder for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started the season tickets. I had a hunch. After they were terrible in 2004, I said to Mandy, I'm like, you know what? I got a feeling that we should we should go. I mean, you know, my, my son was, you know, he was three, four at the time and Mandy likes baseball. And actually my, and that's the other thing I should mention on all of this. My wife is a fantastic sports fan. She's the ideal sports fan. We could talk about that later about how she's the ideal sports fan and I'm a bad sports fan. All right. But in 2004, she, um, you know, I said, we should, we should get the Friday night package. They, They had these, it's really good um, deal going on because the tires were so, so bad that if you couldn't make a game, you could exchange it for a game later in the season. It was awesome. Um, and so we went to a bunch of games in 2005. Plus you were able to get a, ga- a ticket to the all-star game. So Mandy and I went to the all-star game in 2005. So we had a good time. It was an okay season, you know? And so I said to Mandy, like, let's renew. All right. Let's renew for 2006. All right. And so we did. And so within two years of having that hunch, Mandy and I are watching Kenny Rogers, you know, actually we saw, because we were still, I got to remember, we're still like, um, you know, uh, 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 a young couple with a young family. So the idea of of buying all of the postseason tickets 
um, you know, it, it was it was was not in our budget. So we picked one game in each round and sold the rest. But every game that we picked were, was just happened to be a game that Kenny Rogers pitched and happened to be that the Tigers won. So we never have seen the Tigers lose in the postseason, which is great. So, um, you know, it the same feeling that I had in 2004, I just and and I just had that same feeling in, in you know in June. I said, "There's something, something." And then you got to remember the Tiger, the Lions were not good, you know, the year before. You know, they had at the end of the season was bad. They're you know they're playing like you know David Blau a quarterback, and it was just a, a misery at the end of the season. But there was something in the air, and I said, "I've got these three seats." It's backs up against the wall in the section, which is good. I don't want anybody behind me, you know, not if I'm bringing my 13 year old, now 14 year old daughter, um, the Catholic league, I do a lot of youth coaching or done mm-hmm. a lot of youth coaching the CYO and, and, um, the archdiocese has changed the rule a couple of years ago, no events on Sundays. So I knew that I would never have practice and never have a game on a Sunday. She never have a race on a Sunday. So we have that time. So I said to Jane, you just, Again, as you can imagine what her answer was, I was like, listen, if I buy these seats, are you going to want to go to every game with me? She's like, everyone, I won't <laughs> miss a game. And so I called a buddy of mine who was a fan, but not willing to jump in on a full season. I said, will you buy four? He's like, I'll take four. And uh, and then my son was going to a couple. My wife went to a couple. Her, her dad, Jane's grandpa, my father-in-law went to one. And we sort of completed the the whole um uh schedule and um and we just had a blast even when they were losing it was entertaining you know even when we were losing it was um still you know it wasn't boring 48 45 not boring 38 35 not boring um frustrating but but not boring and so um jane's very much we watched like again um you know my 14 year old daughter, myself and my son, we watched, they had an inside the den um, um, draft episode and we watched the whole hour and a half, you know, to, to figure out why Jameer Gibbs, why Campbell, although we were not as um, questioning as the, um, as some of the sort of the national pundits, because we were at all the games, there were many yards left on the, on the table as great as Jamal Williams was you know, he just, there were yards out there. There were holes that were created. There were more yards. And as great as Rod, Rodrigo was, he's, he's little. And so there were certain matchups that were not great ones. So a, a big time linebacker um, is something that was crucial for them. And, you know, and, and, and it, it basically it just, it wasn't a great draft and, and, and they identified who they wanted. They got in and they got out. So because of that, Jane and I are very optimistic, although we were scared a little bit about that knee injury scare, that knee injury that was discussed last week, but apparently it's going to be okay. But we're looking forward to the season. We're looking forward to spend time together. Um, you know, it's just, it's a real, it's a real gift. You know, it's the, you know, the best of what sports can offer as far as bringing people together. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you touched on that because I know family is very important to you and has been for, for many, many years. Um, talk a little bit, if you could, just about what that is like to be able to spend time with, with either your wife or your son or one of your two daughters or, or all of them, or even going back to when you're able to do some of that with your, with your father before he passed. Um, you know, if you could just reflect on, on what that has meant to you as a, 
as a, as a son and a father along the way? Well, it's incredible to think about um, how the, the most important people in my life um, have had some type of sports connection, sports experience together. I mean, I, um, you know, and I, I think of, I'll start with my mom because we haven't even talked about my mom yet. My mom's an incredible sports fan. She's a season ticket holder at, at Michigan has been since the early eighties. Um, diehard, great, great fan. And whatever team any of us are rooting for, she's going to watch the game and text us, you know, uh, I'll get a text that says, man, city's not looking so good right now, or come on bees, you know? And so, I mean, she has no interest in soccer, but she's going to watch and, and connect. And, um, and there was a brief period, and I'm not proud to admit this. Um, there was a brief period of time in my life where I was a Spartan fan, just despite my mother. Um, you know, from about '85 to to '91, '92, um, because that's what sons do. They 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 do things to drive their their um, uh, their moms crazy. In fact, this does remind me of a pretty funny story. Um, of, of, of just how um, going to sports events and being a part of this um, is, is such a, um, has always been a priority for me. So Michigan State's playing Michigan. Okay. My, my best friend in high school, his dad had tickets to the Michigan, Michigan State game in East Lansing. Okay. His son, my best friend passes on the game. All right. And says, Hey, I'm going to hang out with some friends today. All right. He was going to hang out with me. I was organizing a big football game. So his dad calls my house and says, Mike's going to do some stuff with some friends. Does Derek want to go to the game? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go. So I take off. Mike gets up and calls my house and says, hey, what time is Derek playing football? Are we all playing football? And my mom tells him, he's at the game with your dad. So, yeah, so I, uh, it's amazing that we're still friends to this day. But um but I went to the 88 Rose bowl with my mom, you know, the one with the phantom holding penalty. Um, and I, yes, I cheered for Michigan at the time probably was a precursor to how much I would be investing time, energy, and money into Michigan sports. Thanks to my wife as a loyal alum and my two oldest who have already gone to Michigan. Um, but nobody tailgates prepares tailgates like my mom, you know, and um, you know, because there's an aspect of a, a sort of a communal, gathering type thing when it comes to sports and that's the thing that my mom always brought to the table was it is a it's an event it is a um, a coming together um so food and um, desserts and sitting down you know you're you're going to a michigan game with val meineke you're eating before and after you're not leaving hungry um and it doesn't matter who you're rooting for or where you're coming from you're welcome at the table and so that's an element to sports too um, particularly with the college sports and the traditions and the pageantry and all that type of stuff that also is an important dynamic, I think, of the sports culture. And that's where my mom really stepped up. You know, if we're watching bowls, you know, it's at her, it was going to be at her house. It was going to be a big spread and, you know, Super Bowl, those types of things, you know, uh, that aspect of sports and gathering, my mom was always so crucial and remains um, such a crucial part of that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then with, um, with my wife, you know, um, you know, the first time my dad met Mandy, we were dating and um, we used to organize softball games. 
um, amongst, you know, just of all of our friends who were back from college, we'd organize these softball games. My dad would come out and pitch. And, um, and I just brought this girl I happened to start dating, you know, and, um, you know, she was a great volleyball player. Um, and she comes out there and she, she hits a ground ball to short and she legs it out. And afterwards, my, my dad said, you got to marry that girl. And I, I'm like, we're it's like two or three. I'm like, yeah, she's awesome. But he's like, listen, all right. You come from a long line of short, slow Germans. He goes, you need, like, she's fast. She's really fast. We need to inject some running ability into the Meineke line here, you know? Uh, and of course he was teasing and joking, but, you know, sure enough, you know, I, he ends up with three grandchildren who are all outstanding runners. Um, but, but Mandy is a fantastic sports fan and the best kind of sports fan, you know, like, you know, whenever sort of any, anybody interjects any sort of negativity, she doesn't want to hear it, you know, and she loves Michigan um, regardless, like they lose by 20. She loves them. You know um, they win by five over a team. They should have killed. She, she loves them. She, she loves her team um, and is, and, and, you know, from the time we were dating to when we were first married, wherever we would travel, we'd always go to a ballpark because she loves keeping score. She loves watching baseball, you know? So, you know, we were, we were newlyweds at Safeco, newlyweds at Coors, you know, and, 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 um, you know, she's more than happy until unfortunately Bally sports took over and, and, you know, we're YouTube TV people now, so you can't watch local sports, but she'd watch tiger games all the time. She'd watch Red Wing games all the time, Pistons games all the time. And so it is, it's, it's fantastic to be able to um, share a life with someone um, who not only was a great athlete, much better athlete than I ever was, but also a great sports fan. Um, and then with my kids, I've already told you about with Jane, but, but, um, you know, with, with Drew, um, we are now both firm Manchester city fans, which has been a, a fun experience for both of us, but I, I coached him in youth football, you know, and so he was a big San Diego charger fan all the time because he played for the Royal Oak chargers. And so much like when I was a kid, when we went to the NFL hall of fame, he wanted a picture with every single charger, you know, mm -hmm. every single San Diego charger that was admitted into the hall of fame, you know, um, he collected cards and collected as many of the, um, uh, of the old time chargers. Like, I mean, he had Lance Allworth cards. He had all that kind of stuff and very much interested in the history. And just like with me, he still will follow them from time to time. But, but now with his passion for history and his connection to Detroit, he's, you know, obviously transitioned fully into being a Detroit sports fan. And with my daughter, Kate, like she will enjoy, especially now as a Michigan student, you know, she, so my, my, my son just graduated from Michigan. My daughter is a, uh, going into her sophomore year at Michigan and my youngest Jane, we've talked about, is going to be a freshman in high school, but Kate now is, you know, she goes to Michigan sports events. She, you know, gets all of that. But with Kate, you know, the greatest sports connection was, you know, we had fantastic, unbelievable success on the softball diamond together from the time she was in third grade until the time she was in eighth grade and went into high school and had to choose between softball and track and went to track. Um, which again, she had a great, great career. Um, but she was my middle field general. She was tiny. I mean, Jane is now taller than her already as a freshman, but she, you know, she's my little leadoff hitter, you know, 
anything I needed her to do on the field. Um, you know, we just, um, I need you to, you know, I need you to run through that wall. You got it, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, it was just a privilege to be able to coach her, um, and work with her, uh, all those years, um, because, um, you know, that's that as far as the sports element, that was the greatest gift with Kate. And I did a little bit of coaching with her in basketball, more coaching with Jane with basketball. Um, but that dynamic, you know, we won three championships and, um, you know, uh, year after year, her teammates would, you know, vote her to the all-star game and captain and all that kind of stuff. And she passed on the all-star game a couple of times so that her teammates could go to the game. And, um, you know, it, um, it uh, it gets you know it gets me a little emotional thinking about just a, what a wonderful experience that was and um, and what uh, what a deep connection we we formed as father and daughter um, while on the softball fields and not even the games Doug mm-hmm. what I cherish the most are practices done we're picking up the equipment you know we're just walking off the field together you know as the sun's coming down on a on a you know a, uh, a warm summer evening and the conversations that were had and the connections that were made. Those are my favorite times, you know, I mean, we, you know, celebrating the championships is great, but that's the other element to sports, especially if you are in coaching or just following your kid and supporting your kid, those quiet moments and triumph or, or in defeat that are just uniquely yours and, um, and uh, just forge that bond as a parent and a child, even stronger. Yeah, we we did a special Mother's Day episode earlier this year, and we talked to four moms about that who had varying degrees of interest in sports to begin with. But they they reflected a lot on the drives to and from you know practice to and from the events, uh, the carpools, maybe with some of the friends, getting to know the group of friends that their children had from the athletic competitions, and and then the abruptness with which it's it can be over too. I mean, you can see it coming that the, you know. Most of our children are not going to go on and become right. professional athletes, but you know, you know, in our case with with my own son, he was a wrestler, and you didn't know when the last match was going to be, and then suddenly the last match occurred, and you're like, oh, that's the end of it. It's it's over. You know, it can be pretty sudden and and, and very emotional. Yeah, I, I just went through that same experience with Jane because I've been coaching her since she was in third grade mm-hmm. in basketball, and you know, we're we're at a tiny little Catholic school guardian angels and, you know, um, you know, competing against these just larger um, Catholic schools. And, you know, this, her and her little group or a little core group of friends, you know, they never, uh, they never had a losing season. They were, um, and, and made it all the way to the, you know, Catholic league semifinals last year, sweet 16 this year in basketball and no business, you know, with, you know, the size and the access to resources and they, they did it together. And, um, but when we lost in the, at the uh, sweet 16, you know, we lost in a, in a game where we lost by one point and went one for 10 from the line in the fourth quarter, one for 10 from the line. And, um, Jane, my best free throw shooter who, you know, has gone three years to the state finals and free, she, she wasn't, she didn't get a chance to take any of those 10. And so, um, and then that made, you know, um, that made it even more um, heartbreaking for the girls in the moment. But the cool thing about something like that though, is, you know, you try, you practice, you you know, and and you take the time and and you prepare, but in that moment, it's not like you're not trying, you're trying, 
It's not like you're not giving full effort. You are. In fact, you're giving so much effort that you're generating chance after chance after chance. It's just not going in. And so I think that what was interesting about that loss and, and, and that's more about rethinking sports. Like you've just discussed, like in the moment it hurt bad because any one of those free throws go in, we're in overtime where we win, but they didn't. But then I went back and watched the film of the game and, you know, shots weren't going in, you know, it just, it wasn't happening. And yet you kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting. And then you realize that the great truth about sports, which I continue to remind myself all the time, like pride comes from effort, not results. Like that's, that's the, the absolute truth of it all. And um, you know, that is, that's what carries you through, you know, um, um, a frustrating, difficult, disappointing result and how five, 10 years later, that totally transitioned from a, just so angry to like, what a great team to have been a part of that when everything said, you're not winning today, they never stopped. They never gave up. They never, um, you know, threw in the towel. They just kept going. That's the story of that game. You know, not the nine missed free throws. The fact that they kept diving for rebounds and getting offensive rebounds and steals and generating those opportunities. So, but you're right. When it was over, you know, now, I mean, going into this next year, I don't have a team to coach. And I don't want to miss any of Jane's high school cross country meets, track meets and basketball games. So I'm probably not going to sign up again for another, you know, three, four years. I do anticipate that part of my reality post my children, you know, that I'm going to go back to coaching just because it's such a passion. And I love, you know, working with young people in sports. Um, but it's going to be that abrupt that you, you just said it today. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been seeking a way to describe it, but it is, it's just like a hard stop. And that's, that's difficult to, to try to manage. So, so I, uh, I think I've hit my, my mom and my fantastic <laughs> wife, Mandy and my son, Drew and Kate and Jane. And so the, I guess the, 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 uh, the best story sports wise that I have, um, I, I, it's um, it was with my dad uh, September second, nineteen ninety five. So, my dad, as we talked about his professionalism, my dad had a, um, you know, in a unique position. You can't be a fan as a beat writer. Yeah, you can't be a fan really of sports. The only time I saw my dad get really upset at a sports event was um red wings maple leafs i want to say this must have been 93 94 um first round maple leafs knock him out with an overtime goal all right and we're watching he's not covering the red wings at the time uh but he was a huge hockey fan i would say that probably was the sport he loved the most and he was angry when when the red wings lost and so that was a part of when I was realized, okay, there still is an aspect of my dad that's a fan, you know? And I'd ask him what his favorite teams were. He'd always give me years in front of it, like 68 Tigers, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, he would give me years because that's, you know, that was um, a way for him to say, right now, I can't be a fan of these teams, you know? But I was a fan then. Um, but he could love Northwestern. He could love Northwestern. And um, uh, because... He didn't have the Big Ten beat, 
you know, and his son was going there. And so, you know, he, in 94, he came with me, uh, the Wildcats played Notre Dame at Soldier Field. Um, it was the, um, Ron Paulus is going to win four Heisman's game. You know, (laughs) uh, we lost, I think 42 to 15. They ran away with it, you know, and the next year the game was going to be at, um, in South Bend. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, I was working for the, you know, I'm going into my junior year. I'd been working for a while at information, sports information. I asked if I could buy tickets and through sports information, they, I was able to get two tickets. So my dad and I were going to go now that morning, we can't get the car started. All right. Um, yeah, it was, an, it was funny. We had bought a 79 Camaro from a friend of mine. I still don't know why my dad bought a 79 Camaro, but we had bought a 79 Camaro um, and it wasn't starting. I mean, we probably tried for an hour and a half and it looked like we weren't going to be able to go. And so at the last minute we tried some type of spray, I wish I knew what it was because it must be like an instant fix or something um, because I've had plenty of car issues since then and could use that spray, whatever it was, but magically it started up and we were booking it and we got there. And the interesting thing was, is that it's almost as if the seas parted because we were so late. Everybody was already there. It was the opening day for, for Notre Dame. So um, everybody was already there. So we just cruised right into South Bend about like, a half hour before a kickoff, you know, and um, we get our two tickets and we get into our seats and by God, Northwestern is playing well. And they are, um, you know, they're, they're holding their own and they have the lead at halftime. Notre Dame scores a late touchdown just before the end of the half. And I'm ticked, you know, and my dad looks at me and he says, you're leading at halftime in Notre Dame stadium. If I told you that before we got in here, you would have given anything to have that result. So let's have a little perspective right now. Okay. And it was back and forth. And then finally the Northwestern stops Notre Dame on fourth down. Um, and, uh, and it's happening. It's really happening. And um, you know, the, the, you know, the 20 year old in me, you know, wants to give the Notre Dame fans a what for and look around. And my dad's like, knock it off. You're, you are a visitor here. Act like you've been there before, you know, act like this is, you know, uh, come to find out later on, you know, Gary Barnett had said to the team, like when we win, don't carry me off the field. You know, that is that kind of, it was that kind of um, statement from my dad and it was silent. I've never been to this day. Now my wife has said it was just as silent or it would have been just as silent in the Colorado Michigan game she was at but I've never been in the stadium that silent um, because there weren't that many Northwestern fans that were there. And there were many, many Notre Dame fans that were completely silent. Uh, I could hear the Northwestern fan, the Northwestern players celebrating on the field. It was surreal. And, you know, what would have been really neat about that whole experience is my dad was going to, we we're going to go to the game together. And then he was going to drop me off at, um, in Ann Arbor to visit my girlfriend, Mandy, you know, and what was really interesting is that at that time, my, um, my dad had sort of seen that I was pretty serious about this girl and, and, and that Mandy was incredible and he, you know, really liked her for me. And so for the first time in my life, 
we're having conversations about relationships and, you know, what makes a good relationship and, you know, uh, um, some really important life discussions on that road back from South Bend while we're celebrating that victory. And he drops me off at uh, Mandy's uh, apartment on East U, you know, and I get out of the car and I'm like, this is just what an incredible day. I mean, the best of days. Yeah. And, um, and then a month and a half later, it's, um, you know, where he's diagnosed with stage four colon cancer that gone to his liver. So uh, wow. a friend of mine once, once asked like, you know, what some um, sports events, uh, in fact, it really was one of the, one of the coolest, I'm going to find it uh, because I think it's something for people to ponder on. Um, like in history, What are, here we go. All right. Okay. If you could go back in time and watch any sporting event live, what would it be? And he says, list up to your top 10. Wow. I have my list, but I don't want to pollute your thought process. So this is a great question. Okay. So I said, miracle on ice, number one, everything else is a distant second, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I go through my list and it's like, you know, Jack Nicholas final round 86 masters. My dad was there. Um, wrote a great lead for the story that day. We can all die now, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 2012, the English final day English Premier League, Manchester City versus QPR. That's the Aguero goal. 1991 World Series Game Six, Puckett's walk-off home run. Um, game Seven Western Conference quarterfinals, double overtime. Vancouver beats Calgary 4-3. Um, Secretariat Belmont, Red Wings Avalanche, March 26, 1997. Um, and so I'm going through this list and then he starts listing um, events that he went to with the family. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 I didn't know you could include games that you had been to. So you could go back in time and do it again. Because if, if that's the rules, then there is only one day, September 2nd, 1995. There's the day. Yeah. My dad has my, the first conversation as an adult, you know, about, relationships that I would use to form really the, um, the basis going forward, because he, man, my dad gave me my best piece of advice when it came to just, you know, interacting with, um, um, with your spouse that is so simple and easy. And so many people forget it. Like you get into a relationship and I know we're going a little far afield in sports, but I think we've demonstrated so far that sports are, are weave into our lives in so yeah. many different ways. But when you get into a, a, a deep relationship, the most important relationship of your life, you're going to know that person's greatest vulnerabilities. And you're going to get into fights. You're going to get into disagreements. When that happens, don't ever get into or go towards those vulnerabilities or bring those up because fights come and go, but that will remain. It will remain that you brought that up. It will remain that you pointed that out. It will remain that you exploited that. And that will, and he, September 22nd, 1995, he told me that, you know, and I've been dating Mandy a couple months. 
So he had enough foresight to see that, hey, this is the time for me to tell him this. And it's something that I use even today. So September 2nd, 1995, that's the day. If I could go back, watch Northwestern, beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium with my dad sitting next to me as he preps me for, you know, for life with Mandy, Mm -hmm. life without him physically present. Sure. So that's, that, my friend, is a day. Well, I, you know, that was a day and that was certainly was a, a remarkable story and a great recollection. And I don't want to um, sully the uh, the spirit of your father and, and go down any other discussion points. That's a great way to end it, Derek. Thank you. Thank you for the time. And thank you for the, uh, the advice uh, posthumously from uh, the great Corky Meineke. Well, thank you for um, allowing me to walk this and uh, you know, I would love to sit down and have a conversation, uh, uh, um, you know, again, sometime about, um, you know, comparing, you know, the current state of, uh, um, actually, we can go off the record on this then now, but I'd love to sit down with you and get your thoughts about comparing the European soccer model, promotion, relegation, all that kind of stuff, the way they sit their fans, all those types of things with the current model in U.S. sports. Um because it's been such a fascinating endeavor for me because when I was in the UK for two weeks this summer, they brought up all the positive things that they liked about American sports that I had grown to dislike. Yeah. And so um, there'll be another opportunity to have maybe a less of a, a emotional walk for me, but. Um, uh, it's a, it's, I, I, go ahead, you, you finish up. Yeah. You're, you're walking. No, I just, I want, I want to tell you, I just, I will never get tired of, t- of of telling that story and talking about that day because it, it it brings him to life another day and is a reminder that the people that really, really matter, even when they're gone, they're not really gone. It's not cl- a cliche. It's not some um, Hollywood happy ending. It's just reality because when they make that imprint and impact on you, you can't help but reflect that in your day to daily life. You can't help it. It just comes out of you. Well said. Thanks, Derek. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.